Hi, everyone. A great big welcome to Old Time Potpourri here on the Yesterday USA Superstation. Rudy Stark's my name coming to you from Timmins, Ontario, Canada. Today we're going to feature The Lone Ranger, originally played on December 29, 1950. And in this episode, a stagecoach robbery and murder set The Lone Ranger and Tonto on the trail of the outlaw gang called The Hooters. So sit right back and enjoy The Lone Ranger. With the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty Hyo Silver, the Lone Ranger. Indian companion Toto, the daring and resourceful masked rider of the plains led the fight for law and order in the early western United States. Nowhere in the pages of history can one find a greater champion of justice. Return with us now to those thrilling days of yesteryear. From out of the past come the thundering hoofbeats of the great horse Silver. The Lone Ranger rides again. Come on, Silver. Let's go, big fellow. The Lone Ranger and Tottle rode the trail toward Austin. The trail they were following was on a plateau that overlooked the plains. Suddenly, Tottle pointed to the plains below and spoke. Look, Kimasabi. Stage coming cross plain. Horses seem to be running wild, Toto. Ah. I use my binoculars, Horses oh, 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 oh. Toto, there's no driver on the seat of that stage. Oh. We'll go down and try to head it off. Let's hurry. At breakneck speed, the masked man and Indian urged their horses down a narrow trail to the plains. Then they galloped forward to intercept the runaway stagecoach. 
As the careening stage approached, the Lone Ranger swung Silver around so that the great white stallion could run alongside the swaying vehicle. Gauging the distance, the Lone Ranger rode beside the stage. Then, rising in the saddle, he leaped, grasping a handrail attached to the seat. Hey, Silver! Hold! Hold there! Hold! You all right, Kimatabi? Yes. We look inside the coach tunnel. Coach is empty. Maybe it wasn't carrying any passengers. Driver and guard were both shot from the boot. Maybe that's right. What we do about stagecoach? Turn it around and drive it back the way it came, Tato. I'll ride ahead in case the driver and guard are lying wounded somewhere. All right, let's hurry. The Lone Ranger, riding ahead of the stage along the back trail, presently saw two men lying a few yards apart. He pulled to a stop and dismounted. Hold on, hold on, hold on. This poor chap is dead. Here's the driver. He's still breathing. Water. water. Easy, fella, easy. Here's some water. Take it easy now. Oh, thanks. I'm done for. They they got gold shipping from inside, coach. Who did it? You know. Yeah. The hooders. You mean the outlaw gang known as the Hooders? Yeah. I pulled the hood off the leader. We, we recognized him. So they... They shot us. Easy, oh. easy. Tell me, who was the leader? What's his name? He was... <coughs> He's... Rob. Rob. His name. What is it? Oh, 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 oh. Them both shot, Kimatabi? They're both dead, Tonto. Oh, that's plenty bad. The driver managed to speak. He said the gang known as the Hooders robbed the stage of a gold shipment. That outlaw gang we came to find. That's right. The gang has a clever leader. The driver said he snatched the hood from the leader's head. That's why he and the guard were shot. They recognized the leader. Driver saying name a fellow who lead gang? He started to. He said, Rob, Rob. Then he died. Oh. We put the two bodies into the coach, Tonto. You drive the stage to town, explain to the sheriff. I'll wait for you nearby. Tonto drove the stagecoach back to town and pulled the horses to a stop in front of the sheriff's office. The sheriff and his deputy came out of the office and approached the stage. What's the meaning of this, Indian? How come you're bringing that stage here? That's a stage that left here a while ago, Sheriff. Isn't that right? Outlaw gang, hold up stage. Shoot driver and guard. Take gold. Hey, where are the driver and guard? Are they wounded bad? Them both dead. You find bodies in coach. Holy mackerel. Let's have a look, Sheriff. Yeah, the Indian's right. They're both dead, all right. How do we know this engine didn't have something to do with the holdup? Yeah, that's right. Indian, you've got some explaining to do. Ah, on me ride trail with friends. See stagecoach running wild, long plane. We stop horses and then ride back and find driver and guard. Yeah, but how do you know a gang held him up and did the killing and robbing? Driver's still alive. Him tell that before him die. Him say gang wear hoods to hide faces. By Jiminy, the hooders. 
I reckon the engine's telling the truth after all. Me tell truth. Me not bring back stage if me with gang. Yeah, that makes sense. All right, engine, you can leave if you want to. We'll take care of these bodies, and I'll start out with a posse. The Lone Ranger waited in a grove of cottonwoods just outside of town. Within a short time, Toto returned. Oh, scout, oh, fella. Easy, scout. Easy, fella. Did you have any trouble, Toto? No, Kimasabi. Me tell Sheriff what happened. Him say posse start soon to hunt gang. We'll go back to the spot where we found the two men, try to pick up the gang's trail. Here's a bit. Easy. Easy, Scott. Easy, fella. Most of it. Most Meantime, in town, a crowd had gathered as the bodies were removed from the stagecoach and taken to the coroner's. Several men had gone into the sheriff's office to get the facts of the holdup and killing. One of them, known as Deal Robinson and who owned the local hotel and cafe, stood before the sheriff's desk, acting as spokesman for the crowd. He was saying... Sheriff, you say the stage and the bodies were brought into town by an Indian. Yep, that's what I said, Mr. Robinson, and that's the way it was. Mm. It seems to me you should have held that Indian for questioning. Why did you let him go? Because it stands to reason if he had anything to do with what happened, he wouldn't have come here with the bodies. I'd say it's just the thing a smart killer might do. Uh, Tommy Ross, that Indian couldn't have held up and killed the driver and guard and made off with a heavy box containing the gold shipment all by himself. Well, that's right. I agree with you on that. Good. I'm glad you do. But I do think he had help to do those things, Sheriff. And part of the plan was for him to bring back the stagecoach with the bodies... And tell that story about the Hooders doing it. That outlaw gang that we call the Hooders is responsible for a lot of robberies and killings hereabouts, Mr. Robinson. Now, it's logical to believe that same gang did this job, like the Indian said. Yeah, maybe ah, we're wasting time. I've got to get a posse together and see what can be done to trail that gang. Sheriff, I say trail that Indian and bring him back. Then force him to tell the truth. And to tell where the person or persons who are helped him. Oh, wait a minute. Hold on now. Are you trying to tell me how to run my office? Well, maybe I am at that. Remember, I have a lot of influence around here. And it wouldn't take much to get you replaced. Go ahead. But while I am, Sheriff, I'm not taking orders from you or anybody else. I'm going hunting for the Hooders. Deal Robinson left the Sheriff's office and walked rapidly down the street to his own office in the hotel. He motioned to two men who were lounging in the lobby. And a few minutes later, they came to his office. Oh, come in, come in. Well, I have a job for you and Rusty to do. All right. What is it, boss? Yeah, anything you say. You both saw the Indian who drove the stage into town, didn't you? Yeah, we saw him when he drove past the hotel. That's right. Good. I tried to throw suspicion on that Indian, but the sheriff wouldn't listen to me. He's determined to blame everything on the Hooders. <laughs> well, he isn't far from wrong at that. I don't see anything funny about that. Oh, stop worrying, boss. When we separated at the creek, each of us covered his trail on the way back to the hotel. Sure, the sheriff and the posse never picked up our trail yet. Well, it's always the first time. I don't like the way he talks to me. He as much as told me to mind my own business. Oh, forget it. There's nothing you can do about it. Yes, there is. He's leading that posse out to where the holdup took place. Cal, I want you to head out of town right away and wait behind the rocks just across that narrow gorge. Wait for what? The sheriff and posse will ride the trail along the other side of the gorge. Use your rifle and pick him out of the saddle. Then head for the creek and cover your trail back here. You mean ambush the sheriff? That's right. The posse will have to ride back a mile to get across that gorge. That'll give you time for a getaway. All right. That's where you want it? What am I supposed to do? Rusty, I want you to start out right now and trail that Indian who brought in the stage. 
Find him and bring him back here to town. What do you want with him? We'll say he admitted having helped in robbing the stage and that he shot the sheriff. I'll talk the townsman into hanging that Indian. Then I'll talk them into appointing you sheriff with Cal as deputy. <laughs> From then on, we'll really run this town. Now both of you get going. And make sure you both succeed. All right, you. Cal immediately left town, and ten minutes later, the sheriff and the posse rode away. Meantime, the Lone Ranger and Tonto had picked up the gang's trail at the scene of the stage holdup. They followed the tracks to the creek, then began a careful search to find out where they left the water. The Lone Ranger found the trail of one horse and signaled for Tonto to join him at that spot. Tonto rode to a stop where the masked man was waiting. Oh, oh. What's your find, Kimasabi? Tracks of one horse, Tonto. It's evident the members of the gang separated, leaving the creek at various points. Ah, that's right. We follow the trail of this one. It should lead to the others eventually. But maybe it's not trail of one of outlaws. Well, that's possible. But you can see that the tracks are fairly fresh. Means, of course, since we've been searching downstream, that the gang moved in the direction of town. That's right. We'll follow this trail and see where it goes. Come on, sir. Get him up, scout. The hoof marks the Lone Ranger and Tonto were following circled toward the narrow gorge of which Deal Robinson had spoken. As the two men approached the gorge, the tracks they were following crossed a smooth, rocky surface. They reined to a stop to study the ground. Oh, Scott. Oh, Tracks not turn off. Them go straight ahead. Oh, I see. We'll... Look, Tonto. Over to the left near that boulder. Ah. Tonto on horse. Him seem to be watching trail cross gorge. That's right. He's holding a rifle. Him not here to stop here. All right, let's move closer. Come on, sir. Get him up, scout. We'll stop here and watch him, Paul Silver. Oh, we'll... oh, oh. Look, Kimasabi. Riders coming up trail just cross gorge. Looks like a posse. Ah, we see Sheriff riding in front. That man, Toto, he's aiming his rifle. Him wait till them get closer. Maybe try shoot Sheriff. I'll stop him. Him drop rifle, grab arm. I think I creased his arm. He's leaving now. We'll follow him, Toto. The curtain falls on the first act of our Lone Ranger adventure. Before the next exciting scenes, please permit us to pause for just a few moments. to continue. 
The Lone Ranger and Tonto had caught sight of the outlaw, Cal, as he was about to carry out Robinson's order to shoot the sheriff. Acting quickly, the Lone Ranger fired at Cal, who, dropping his rifle and grabbing his arm a moment, glanced around, then hurriedly rode away. The Lone Ranger and Tonto started out in pursuit. Meantime, across the narrow gorge, the sheriff and the posse pulled to a halt. Whoa, 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 whoa. I don't know what that shooting was about. Look, there goes somebody over there. Throw that at him. I thunder that looked like Robinson's man, Cal Pittman, being chased by an Indian in a mask, hombre. Yeah, did you see that paint horse engine was riding? I bet he's the same one who brought in the stage. Maybe Robinson was right after all, Sheriff, about that Indian. I hate to admit it, but maybe the Indian did have something to do with that holdup. They headed toward town. Let's go the same way till we can pick up their trail. Come on, get up there. Get up. Cal rode directly to the hotel and reported what had happened to Deal Robinson. The Lone Ranger's bullet had creased his arm, and after the wound was attended to, Cal and Deal discussed the situation. I was just about to shoot the sheriff, boss, when the masked man's bullet creased me. I got a quick look for I rode away. I'm sure that Indian who brought in the stage was with him. What about the sheriff and the posse? How'd they act? Well, they were yelling and throwing lead at the left. Well, maybe it's just as well, Kel. If they saw the Indian and mask, hombre, they'll think I was right after all. Oh, here's Rusty. Sorry, boss. I lost the trail of that Indian. Yeah, forget it. Things are turning my way without getting the Indian. Yeah, what's the matter with your arm, Kel? Did the posse wing you? We'll oh, tell you about that later. As you fellas go upstairs and join the others. I'm going to watch for the posse to come back and see what the sheriff has to say now. Meanwhile, the Lone Ranger and Tonto had followed Cal to town. The sun was setting and they rode in the shadows behind the buildings until they found Cal's horse hitched in a grove behind the hotel. They pulled to a stop and dismounted. Oh, 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 I'll leave horse here. And go in back door, hotel. He may be one of the outlaw gang, Toto. Maybe that they're hiding right in the hotel. Uh, Move Silver further back into the shadows, in case anyone else comes along. And then what we do? You go around front and watch for the posse to return. I'll wait here until it's dark. Then I'm going to go inside and try to locate that man. A short time later, the posse returned and drew rein in front of the sheriff's office. I'll find out if Cal Pittman got back to town, have a talk with him about the men who were chasing him. And if the moon comes up bright, we'll try to locate them. Hey, Sheriff, here comes Cal now. Robinson's with him. Cal's got a bandage on his arm. Dalhoot must have winged him this afternoon. We've been waiting for you to get back, Sheriff. While you were out hunting for an outlaw gang, Cal was attacked by that Indian on a mask man. I told you that Indian was the one you should have trailed. I was lucky they didn't kill me, Sheriff. Yes, but what I want to know is what you were doing out there on the other side of the gorge. Well, frankly, I sent Cal and Rusty out separately to try to trail that Indian. I wanted to prove to you I was right, Sheriff. Yeah, I was trailing that redskin when they jumped me. I saw you and the posse across the gorge, but I knew you couldn't do anything to help then. Well, maybe you were right, Robinson, about that Indian. We saw him with a masked hombre setting out after Cal. That's right. You mean they followed him? Yeah, it looked that way to us. Hey, Sheriff. He just moved up on the edge of the crowd. That Indian. Right, Hunter, that's him, all right. Cover that Indian man and bring him here. All right, come on. Wait. Here. Wait. Be not too wrong. You're covered, Indian. Come here. Come on, Be not savvy. Why, you hold guns on me. Make him tell where his masked partner is, Sheriff. Sure. Yeah. Remember, two men were killed on that stage, and Cal was wounded. 
You made a mistake in coming back here to town, Indian. Me not make mistake. Where's that mask man? Where is he? Me not talk. Well, by thunder, we ought to string him up right now. Oh, oh, wait, hold on, Rob. Wait a minute. None of that kind of talk. I'll attend to this in my own way. So far, you've made a botch of the whole thing. If I hadn't sent my own men to hunt this Indian, the truth wouldn't have come out. Truth not out yet. You get inside the Indian and be quick about it. I'm putting you behind bars until I get the facts. I'll get going. Deal Robinson and Cal watched as the sheriff took Toto inside. Then when the sheriff and his deputy were safely out of earshot, Deal turned to the group of curious onlookers and spoke. Hello, man. All of you are law-abiding citizens of this town. You, along with me and other businessmen here, deserve protection from vicious outlaw gangs that roam the territory. Now, you all know what happened today. A gang known as the Hooders robbed the stage and killed two men. That Indian brought the stage back to town. I saw all along, and I told the sheriff so, that it was a brazen trick of the Indian to throw off suspicion. But did the sheriff listen to me? Did he? No, Of course he didn't. I put a lot of money and effort into helping this town grow. Yet I and you have to take that kind of talk from a man we put into office as sheriff to protect our homes and property. Because I felt I was right about not trusting that redskin, I sent my old man out to trail him. Perhaps find that outlaw gang's hideout. Cal found the Indian with a masked man. That's right, and when they found out I was trailing the Indian, they tried to kill me just like they killed the stage driver and the guard. I was lucky enough to get back to town to tell about it with only an arm wound. The sheriff isn't doing his job right. No, he even sticks up for that redskin. No, 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 wait. I'm not trying to turn you against the man who legally represents the law around here. But if he continues to neglect his duty and to refuse the advice of well-meaning citizens... Then I say something will have to be done about it. That Indian wouldn't have been caught at all if Mr. Robinson hadn't insisted he had something to do with that stage robbery. Cal, I want credit only for what I do that's right. I'm beginning to think the Hooders gang is only something the sheriff himself imagined. As long as the sheriff is legally in office, it isn't for us ordinary citizens to try to force his hand. Of course, that Indian is guilty of robbery and murder. There's no doubt about that. However... The law must take its course, as far as I'm concerned. Hey, what are you men still hanging around down here for? What's going on? We've been getting a few facts, that's what. Yeah, Mr. Robinson was talking to us. Oh, so you're talking to him, huh, Robinson? Yeah, whatever, Sheriff. I'm not breaking the law by talking to some of my friends on the street. That's right. And the Sheriff better start finding a few crooks and killers before he tries to get tough with decent folks. Listen, right, Robinson, Cal. and you too, Cal. I don't know what kind of talking you've been doing out here, but if it has anything to do with that Indian, you... <laughs> Slow you... down, Sheriff. <laughs> Take it easy. You've become so touchy lately, you even think the woman's sewing circle is whispering behind oh, your back. <laughs> Maybe he's got reason to think that, boss, the way he sits around and don't find the hooders. I thunder I should run both of you in for creating a disturbance. I told you once, Robinson, I'm telling you again. As long as I'm Sheriff, I'll do things my own way. I'll thank you to mind your own business. Now, you men, move away from in front of this jailhouse or I'll run you all in front of After darkness fell, the Lone Ranger, not knowing what had happened to Toto, left the grove and cautiously made his way into the hotel through the back door. He moved along the dimly lit corridor, stopping momentarily to listen at each door. Suddenly, he heard steps and voices coming through from the lobby. He quickly moved into a cross hallway and flattened himself against the wall in the shadows. Now that the Indian who brought the stage to town is in jail, we'll make our next move. What'll that be? Good. 
We're with you, Claudia, tonight, but the sheriff is bad. Rusty, go upstairs and have the others come to my office. I'll tell my plans all of them. All right, Jim. A short time later, the sheriff and the deputy were at the sheriff's office talking. I sure don't like Robinson's attitude. Thinks he runs this town. Yeah, he certainly don't seem to like you, Sheriff. Don't move your cover. What's it? The mask, hombre. He came to get the engine out. Sheriff, I'm sorry to take this means, but I must talk to you without wasting time. In spite of those guns, mister, you're not taking that Indian away from this jail. Are you interested in catching the gang called the Hooders? Yeah, sure. Here's a silver bullet. That mean anything to you? Silver bullet, eh? That's right. I have more in my gun belt. Todd and I came down this way to help find the hooders. We saw the empty stage, and Tonto brought it and the two bodies back here to you. Yeah, that Indian's name is Tonto? Right. You carry silver bullets. Say, you must be the Lone Ranger. I am. Great day. Put up your guns. You don't need them. Oh, thanks, Sheriff. Todd and I came upon a man with a rifle waiting to shoot you from ambush this afternoon. What? Yes. I wounded him, and he rode away. Came here to town. That was Cal Pittman, Robinson's man. Say he was aiming to kill me? Yes. Bring Toto out here, then get a few men. If we hurry, I'm sure we can catch the hooders with our leader. In Deal Robinson's office, Cal and Rusty, with three other men, listened as Robinson talked. Cal, you and Rusty keep on a cover tonight. I'll have Joe and Pete go to the cafe and arouse the men against that Indian. It'll be easy for a big lynching party to take them from jail and string them up. What good does that do us? I've accused the sheriff of making a lot of mistakes right along. After the lynching, I'll accuse him of not protecting his prisoner until we could locate the mask hombre. What about that masked man? He's still on the loose? Yes. After I get you appointed sheriff, Rusty, you can blame everything our hooded gang does on that masked man. And we'll be able to operate without any trouble from the law. <laughs> the box of gold from the stage is in my closet over there. If you men do a good job tonight, we'll divvy up what's in that box in the morning. I'll get going to the cafe. Yeah, all right, all right. Don't move, idiot. you the sheriff and the deputies. What's the meaning of this? We heard everything that was said, Robinson. You're the leader of those hooders. I'll right. settle you. Hey! I'll keep reaching the rest of you. You must have men posted at the window. Fight your way out, men! Go down fighting. Go! They're through, Sheriff. Yeah, they are. Search the place, men. Here's the box of gold in this closet. Yeah, and here are the hoods they wore in the desk drawer. You have nothing on me. Shut up. Men like you are a disgrace. Like the mask man said, you keep the West from growing. Bring us a bad name out this way. You're all going to jail for the murder of the stage driver and the guard. What do you mean the mask man said that? What's he got to do with this? Uh, well, he saved me from your bullet a minute ago when he shot through the window. That's twice today he saved my life. He and that Indian sure are a great pair of armor. Why should he help you? Who is he? Before you decided to plot against that Indian, Robinson, you should have found out that he was the one who rides with the Lone Ranger.
was a feature of the Lone Ranger Incorporated, created by George W. Trendle, produced by Trendle Campbell Enterprises, directed by Charles D. Livingston, and edited by Fran Stryker. The part of the Lone Ranger is played by Brace Beamer. Hi, this is Kim Bragg, and up next is my good buddy, Walden Hughes. McGee and Molly, Christmas Day, 1953. The Pepper McGee and Molly Show. Every weekday at this time, NBC brings you Fibber McGee and Molly transcribed. The show is written by Phil Leslie and Ralph Goodman and directed by Max Hutto. We'll join Fibber and Molly in just a moment. There's one question that probably causes more sleepless nights than all the others put together. It goes something like this. How can I save money when I hardly earn enough to keep going? That is a serious question because it involves your future and your family. But it's not hopeless. True, it's not easy to save money at first. But once it becomes a habit, it's the simplest thing you ever did. Provided you choose a plan like the payroll savings plan for buying United States savings bonds. It's the easy, painless way to ensure your future security. Just ask your employer to save a few dollars from your paycheck. Every time enough money accumulates, your employer buys your savings bonds for you automatically. Those bonds now mature in less than 10 years and pay you $4 for every $3 you put in. The payroll savings plan can mean extra money for your future. Join today. You'll feel more secure tomorrow if you buy United States savings bonds today. Beautiful, dearie. Yes, it sure was. You have been listening to an hour of recorded Christmas carols featuring some of America's foremost choral groups. Your station is WVIS in Whistle Business. Turn it off now, huh? Got it. Ah, this is a mighty fine life, sweet
cozy fire in the fireplace, beautiful Christmas tree with presents piled around it, good friends dropping in all day. Hasn't it been a wonderful Christmas? Christmas will always be wonderful, Molly, as long as I got you. Well, what a nice little speech. Aren't you sweet, dear? That's what everybody says. Yep. Now at the Elks Club, they all say, ain't McGee sweet? Non Kramer's drugstore, they say, that McGee, he sure is sweet. <laughs> oh, dear. Over at the Chinese laundry, they say, Hong Gao Fu Yak, which translated means... Mr. McGee is sweet? No, that means if Mr. McGee beeps once more, I'm going to starch his undershirts. <laughs> Ah, you're cute. Hey, did you like your presents, kiddo? I mean, did you really like them? You know, were you surprised? Completely surprised. Good. The perfume was the biggest surprise, of course. Yeah, I said to myself, he gave me perfume the last three years, so I know he won't give me any perfume this year. That's what I told Doc Gamble when I bought that perfume. I told him you'd figure it that way, so I knew perfume would surprise you. And the purse, it's just beautiful. Perfect. Yeah, I picked it out myself. I could tell. I figure if I got your brown purse, you'd have to wear brown with it, see, and black purse would just go with black clothes, so... I got a purse that'll go with anything. Red, green, purple, and orange. I love it. Boy, this robe sure is a knockout. Feel like a millionaire in silk robe. Never had a silk one before. It becomes you, dearie. How'd you know I wanted a silk robe? You didn't swipe one of them letters I wrote to Santa Claus, did you? <laughs> if you mean those little notes that said, Santa baby, bring me a silk robe that you left pinned to the shower curtain and pasted on my compact mirror and under your plate at breakfast. No, I never noticed them. Just shows to go you that when two people live together as long as we have, you can read my mind. Yes, even the fine print. Don't forget, Christmas isn't over yet either. Don't forget, I'm taking you out for dinner tonight, any place you name. And the swankier, the better. That's just going to be wonderful, McGee. But do you think you should spend the money? You know, you spent so much on me. Forget it. Money's no objection. <laughs> What's money? Besides, I got the dough all saved up for this. Well, there's some wonderful places to eat. You just pick the place, that's all. Pierre's, the sump room at the Ritz Vista. How about the snark room down at Carol's Restaurant? Well, it ought to be someplace so special. I think I'll get the paper and look through the ad. Look out for the Christmas tree, kiddo. I see it. You know, I think we should have put this tree in the corner there, McGee, instead of out in the middle of the floor like this. It's too pretty to stick away in a corner. I don't want anybody to miss this tree. <laughs> no one's missed it so far. Everyone's bumped into it at least once. Yeah, but you notice when they finish putting the ornaments back on, they always say it's a beautiful tree. That's because... Company. Merry Christmas. Come in. And a Merry Christmas to you, my dear. And even to you, Sonny boy. Oh, thanks, Doc. Watch the tree, watch it. <laughs> See, I'm sorry. It's a little close between the tree and the doorway here. Where'd this ornament fall from, Molly? You notice? Just hang it back any place, Doctor. That's it. Ah, it's a beautiful tree, Molly. In fact, your whole house looks pretty. All the Christmas decorations and everything. This is a rough time for a bachelor, you know that. Well, we feel pretty fortunate, Doctor. It's been a wonderful Christmas. Yep, and I'm going to wind it up by taking her out to the snazziest place in town for dinner, Doc. Got any suggestions? Oh, there are a lot of good places to eat. The swankiest place in town, of course, is that new English spot, Marlborough House. Oh, I heard Mrs. McDonald, the president of the Third National Bank's wife, tell about it. They say it's great. Oh, if it's good enough for the banker's wife, it's none too good for us. Do you know anybody there, Doc? Yeah, Miss Callahan and I eat out there quite often. Mm -hmm. Know Lord Cobbleton very well. Lord Cobbleton? He's the mayor D. Mention my name. He'll give you a good table. Where? In the kitchen? Oh, gee. Well, that's what Doc considers a good table. Right next to the roast beef. Right, Docky? <laughs> As a matter of fact, Ducktail, when I'm sitting across the table from Miss Callahan with the candlelight and the soft music, I don't much notice what I'm eating. A likely story. She's a pretty girl, Doctor. Molly, if you could have seen her out there the other night in her new blue formal... <sighs> formal? She wears her formal to dinner? Oh, sure. Everyone dresses for dinner at the Marlboro. Uh. 
Oh, you'll love it out there. Well, I gotta get moving, kids. I'm picking Doris up in 20 minutes. We're going down to Bijou. Yeah, what's she gonna say? What's the main feature? Her beautiful blue eyes. Oh, sure. Merry <laughs> Christmas, kid. So long. Well, I think the love bug has bitten a big chunk out of the doctor, Dave. Yeah. You'll never miss it, kiddo. Hey, that Marlboro sounds like quite a joint, you know it? Don't say I never take you out, kiddo, because this is your night. Wonderful. I'll go upstairs and get out my tux and... Oh, I don't know. That sounds awfully stuffy to me, McGee. It's only five o'clock. Relax a while. Let's think of another place. Any place at all. So see, you just name it and by George, we'll have it. <laughs> to Whistle Vista in a minute. The tradition of religious freedom and of religious worship in America goes back to the very founding of our country. The cornerstone of our Declaration of Independence is a statement that all men are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. So in these days of world crisis, when our nation and all its citizens need spiritual strength and guidance, all of us should think again of what religion means to us and to our country. More than anything else, it is religious faith that protects our families, our homes, and our nation. It is religious faith that makes our way of life possible. And it is religious faith that makes that way of life worthwhile. The churches of America symbolize the belief that through community worship, we can gain the moral strength and courage to lead a good life. Wherever you are, whatever your faith may be, be sure to attend and support the church or synagogue of your choice. Take your friends and neighbors with you to church or synagogue. Light their life with faith. Bring them to worship this week. What about that new steak and chops place out on the highway? What do they call it? The Chapadero? Yeah. I don't know. That's pretty far out. Traffic's probably awful bad, too. Oh I, oh, I know. What about the circus room at the plaza? That's a popular spot. You know, the waiters wear clown suits and the maitre d' wears a top hat and cracks a whip. Pretty nice. <laughs> Noisy there, isn't it? I don't care much for dinner music played on the calliope either. I tell you what, let's make it the Ritz Vista, the sump room. Well, with me, kiddo. This is your present. Their food is the best in town, and the service is good. We could dance a little. We huh? can dance all night if you want to. This is your night. Oh, wonderful. Stir up the fire a little, will you? I'll put another log on it. There. That ought to keep a while. Nothing like a fire in the fireplace. Isn't it pretty? Like I say, everything's going to be just the way you want it tonight, Molly. I'll dance. I won't argue with the head waiter. Won't make snide cracks about the food. I'll even tip the hat check girl without beating. And we'll take a taxi cab. Both ways. How's that? Wonderful. I just want to make this a perfect Christmas for you. It is a perfect Christmas day. You're the sweetest husband any girl. Oh, point killer. Come in. Merry Christmas, folks. No, the same to you, Wimp. Merry Christmas, Mr. Wimple. Come in. My, your house looks so Christmassy. I love an open fire. Sit down, boy. Here, let me take that big package off your hand. Oh, thank you, Mr. McGee. I'm sorry I'm so late with your Christmas present. Oh, now you didn't need to bother, Mr. Wimple. Heck no, boy. You didn't have to buy us anything. Well, you've both been so nice to me, letting me stay here while my wife is away and everything. I just wanted to bring you a small token. A small token, he says. Look at the size of this box, will you, Molly? From the silver shop, too. I'll get the scissors. Oh, that isn't for you. That box is a gift my birdwatchers group just gave me. Oh. I haven't had a chance to open it yet. I have your present here somewhere. Oh, dear. I had it right here in my vest pocket. Oh, well, don't worry. I mean... I must have dropped them someplace. They were the cutest miniature salt and pepper shakers. Two little eagles. The one with the bald head was the salt. <laughs> oh, I feel terrible. No, so do I. 
from the size of this box, I, I mean, I, I mean, well, I feel bad, too, losing out on a fascinating gift like a bald-headed salt shaker. Maybe they'll turn up. I'll look at home because surely they not. Yeah, bring them by anytime, Wimp. No hurry. We're getting ready to get dressed now and go out right now anyhow. I'm taking Molly out to Christmas dinner. We're going to get all dressed up and go to the sump room, Mr. Wimple. Oh, that's a wonderful place. And very popular, too. I only take my wife to the best spots, of course. I won't keep you because you really should get started. I passed her on my way over here and the lobby is jammed. People are waiting clear out on the sidewalk. Oh, really? You won't have to wait more than a half hour, though, because when they're crowded like that, the waiters work very fast and they rush the customers through pretty quickly. Oh, they do, huh? We've never been there when they were really crowded. Be sure and watch out for the little jumpy waiter with the bald head. He snatches your plate when you get up to dance. Well, have a pleasant dinner and Merry Christmas. Oh, thanks, Wimp. Thanks, Mr. Wimple. Same to you. I didn't want to go to the sump room anyhow. Me neither. Plenty of better places in town to eat than getting your plate yanked out from under you just because you get up to dance by an eager waiter. Of course there are. Hand me that paper. I'll pick out the perfect spot because for you, Tootsie, I want to... You won't need the paper, dearie. I know just the place. Good, good. I've been thinking about it all afternoon. And there's only one place I want to be this Christmas evening. Just name it. Right here. At my own fireside. With you. Yeah, but I promise to take you while I mean to. Oh, gee, Molly. That's swell. I'll call the delicatessen and order some sandwiches. Good. Put another log on the fire. Okay. Ah, what a wonderful Christmas. Tibber and Molly will be right back. Each night, we at NBC take great pleasure in bringing you such fine programs as the Fibber, McGee, and Molly Show. For it is such programs as this that have throughout the years helped to build your confidence in the NBC radio network. When you set your dial to this station, you know that you will hear the finest of a little radio entertainment. In sending these programs into your home for you to select freely without payment of any kind, the National Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations always assume the role of guardians of good taste. When you set your dial to the station where you hear the familiar three chimes, you know that you will hear only programs which can and will be listened to and enjoyed by your whole family. And today on Christmas, as on each day of broadcasting throughout the year, the NBC reaffirms to you its earnest hope that its programs will always be welcomed in your home and in all homes throughout America. Set your radio dial to the familiar three NBC chimes, your invitation to the best in radio entertainment. Ladies and gentlemen, Molly and I hope you've all had as happy a Christmas as we've had this year. And we hope all the days of your life are as happy as this Christmas day. Good night. Good night, all. NBC has brought you the Fibber McGee and Molly program transcribed with Bill Thompson as Wallace Wimple, Arthur Q. Bryan as Dr. Gamble. This is John Wall inviting you to be with us again next Monday night for another visit with Fibber McGee and Molly. Today's the day to start enjoying your new kitchen radio and the great lineup of shows on the NBC Radio Network. All right, Walden, step up to the microphone and do your thing.
the next show you're going to hear The Adventures of Ice and Harriet from December 26, 1948. As I look into the mirror while shaving, I see a face peering over my shoulder. Do you like the face? Oh, I do indeed. It's the face of an angel. The angel on my shoulder. It's a lovely face and a happy one. It's a happy face because I've just had the happiest Christmas. And why not? America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. And now, angel, would you remove your face from my shoulder so I don't cut my nose off? <laughs> Silver Plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of 1847 Rogers Brothers Silver Plate, presents The Adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. Looking down Rogers Road in the winter twilight, Christmas tree lights gleaming in the windows, families coming home from church, that comfortable white house with the wood smoke spiraling up from the chimney, that's where the Nelson In the living room, lighted only by the glow of the fire and the lights of the tree by the window, Ozzie is stretched out comfortably on the couch, and Harriet and the boys are down on the floor putting together a jigsaw puzzle. Does this curved piece go in there? Yeah, that's it. Move over. Let me try this one. That doesn't go there. Let him try it, David. There, you see? Mm, that works. See, there are the three wise men, and that's the star of Bethlehem. That's swell. Now it's still in the sky. Uh, how about that black piece over there with the stars on it? Well, you better come closer, dear. That's a domino. Here's <laughs> <laughs> a piece that fits. I got one. And there's the last piece. Gee. That makes a neat picture. Isn't that pretty? The wise men carrying their gifts to Bethlehem on their first Christmas. We had the same thing in our Christmas play at school last week. Oh, that's right. How was the Christmas play, David? Well, I was sensational. Oh, really? <laughs> Were you sensational too, Ricky? No, I was a camel. <laughs> See, I was a wise man and Ricky was my camel. Mildred Carter said I was the cutest wise man she ever saw. Oh, she did. So I bought her some ice cream and some candy afterwards. I spent all my allowance. I'm afraid you're cuter than you are wise, David. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thirsty. Then go get a drink of water. I'm not supposed to. David says camels only drink once a week. <laughs> well, I'm sure you've had time to get out of character by now. How do you like the slippers I gave you, Pop? Oh, they're fine, David. Nice and comfortable. Why do you have the rubber bands around them, Pop? <laughs> well, I put those on there so they won't fall off when I walk Gee, <laughs> are they too big? Oh, no, no, I, I like my slippers nice and roomy They're a lot more comfortable that way <laughs> And it's handy, too, I can carry things in my toes <laughs> The man 
what size, and I didn't know. I just told him you had big feet. How <laughs> do you like the ones I gave you, Mom? Oh, they're beautiful, Ricky. Is your heel supposed to stick out over the back that way? <laughs> oh, I think they're making slippers that way now. They're putting the heel much closer to the toes than they used to. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I think you boys showed very good judgment in choosing your gifts. Daddy and I are very proud of you. I thought it was a wonderful Christmas all the way around. None of the cards came off the packages. Only one bulb is burned out on the tree. The tie Grandma Hilliard gave me matches perfectly with the wallpaper in the dining room. Yes, sir, it was a nice Christmas. Mom, when the three wise men started to follow the star, how did they know it would lead them to the right place? Well, David, they'd been told that something like this would happen, and they believed it. It was their faith that guided them. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? Mm-hmm, but things haven't changed much. People still have to have faith. Mm, he doesn't understand stuff like that, Mom. Sure I do. Well, what your mother means, Ricky, is that you believe in certain things. You believe what they teach you at Sunday school, and you believe in your mother and your father. And Grandma Hillier? Mm-hmm. And Grandma Nelson? That's right. And how come Grandma Nelson didn't send us a Christmas present this year? Well, she did, didn't she? Not yet, Pop. The package didn't come. You see, Pop, I believe she would and she didn't. You know, it is strange, dear. In the past, your mother's always sent the things at least a week before Christmas. Oh, it's probably held up in the mail. The post office is so rushed at this time of the year. Maybe she forgot. Oh, no, Ricky. You know she wouldn't do that. What could have happened, Pa? Oh, I don't know, David, but you can be sure that Grandma Nelson didn't forget you guys. This is the time for you to have the faith that your mother was just telling you about. You've got to believe in Grandma Nelson. Yeah, but it's the day after Christmas already. Well, you'd be amazed at the things that faith and real believing can accomplish. Let me tell you what happened one Christmas when I was a little boy. Is this going to be a story, Pop? Yes, it's a real true story. Oh, boy, move over, David. I was about your age, Ricky, and your Uncle Al was just a little younger than you are, David. In fact, we looked a lot like you two guys. On this particular Christmas back in Ridgefield Park... Uncle Al and I had each gotten a beautiful new flexible flyer sled. Oh, boy, were we happy. And then suddenly we realized there was no snow. It was just one of those years when it hadn't snowed for Christmas. Well, it was the afternoon of Christmas Day. Your Uncle Al and I came in the house pretty discouraged. Now, I remember my pop was sitting on the couch in the living room, well, just about the way I'm sitting here right now. Hi, Pop. Hello, Ozzie. Hi, Pop. Hello, Alfred. What are you looking at? No, oh, it's a silly contraption somebody gave me for Christmas. Supposed to be a weather forecasting barometer. Hey, that's a swell thing. Does it work, Pop? I don't think so, Alfred. It's just a little one. I don't imagine it's much good. You know, the real instruments they use at the Weather Bureau cost thousands of dollars. Doesn't it work at all? Oh, it might predict something simple like rain or fair and warmer, but that's about all. I think somebody gave it to me as a joke. Here, set it up on the mantle there, will you, Ozzy? Pop, do you think it'll ever snow? I don't know, son. This warm weather keeps up, we'll be into spring. Just possible we won't have any snow at all this year. Gee, we'll never get to use our sled. That's right, your sled. Of course, the weather can change very quickly. In fact, you never can tell what it's going to do. You've heard that expression, as changeable as the weather? Anything the matter? No, no, I was just telling the boys, Ethel, that the weather could change. Golly, here we got new sleds for Christmas, and there's no snow anywhere. Hey, Pop, look at this thing here. What'd you call it? Barometer? Why, what about it? Yeah, look at it, Pop. The arrow's pointing right to snow. <laughs> oh, I know, Alfred. 
But I wouldn't put too much faith in that. I told you before, I don't think that's very accurate. But sometimes having faith and confidence can make things come true. You told us that yourself. Sure, lots of times. Oh, of course, it's very possible that the barometer could be right. Sure. If you have faith in the barometer and we have faith in you, then it'll snow, huh, Pop? Well, I, I didn't say quite that, but Alfred. you think it'll be Pop? Now, now, wait a minute, boys. The only thing I said... Will it snow tonight or tomorrow morning, Pop? Well, I don't know. It might snow tonight and then again... Now, now, wait a minute, boys. I don't want you to get it's your hopes over. It's gonna snow. It's gonna snow. No. Keep having faith in Pop, Al. Now, Come on, Alfred. Let's go out and see if it's started yet. Where will I get my earnings? Now, 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 right. wait a minute, boys. No, I didn't mean that faith in me would make it snow. Boys, boys. How do you like that? They think that because they have faith in me that I can make it snow. George, if it's going to snow, you better go outside and put up the storm doors. <laughs> Alfred, if you and Ozzie don't stop pushing your faces against that window, you're going to have flat noses. Well, when do you think it's going to snow, Mom? Well, it doesn't look too hopeful right now. The stars are out. Hey, look, snow! Snow, great big flakes! Those are the ashes from the ash can. <laughs> is that you, Pop? Hiya, boys. How is it outside, Pop? When do you think it'll start? Well, it seemed to turn quite a bit colder while I was walking up from Hackensack Road. What do you have on your lips there? Hey, it's snow. There's snow on Pop's face. No, 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 no. That's just some shredded pecans. I had a Sunday while I was downtown at Walmart. <laughs> you fellas better get ready for dinner. I'm going to put things on. Gee, isn't there any sign of snow at all, Pop? Well, there are no signs of it, but of course that doesn't mean it can't snow. The signs can change. Don't forget, Pop, you promised. Uh, now, look, fellas, I'm afraid you guys sort of jumped to conclusions. I didn't exactly promise it would snow tonight. Oh, I know you didn't, Pop. You said if we had faith in you that it would snow tomorrow. No, no, now, now, wait a minute. Boy, I can hardly wait. Just think we'll go to sleep tonight, and when we wake up, there'll be snow as far as you can see. We'll take our sleds and go over to Strohmeyer's Hill. Come on, Izzy. Let's get ready for dinner so we can eat fast and go to bed and go to sleep. So it'll be tomorrow morning quicker. Come on. Pop. Uh, yes, Izzy. It is going to snow, isn't it? Yes, Izzy. It's going to snow. Gee, thanks, Pop. <laughs> You're taking a pretty big chance, George. What else could I say? Little guy looking up at me with that complete face. That absolute confidence that if I want it to snow, it'll snow. How could I refuse? But, George, it's a beautiful clear night, not a cloud in the sky. Well, I know, but it could change. You know something, Ethel? I think it is going to snow tonight. how much Ozzy's father sounded like Ozzy and how much his mother sounded like Harriet. And you know something else? I'll bet their table looked very much like the Nelsons, too. Sure. Both of them set with beautiful 1847 Rogers Brothers. Why, even as far back as 101 years ago, 1847 Rogers Brothers held the honored place on American tables. It was America's first silver plate that year. And during the century that has followed, 1847 has always been America's finest silver plate. Today, you can choose no more beautiful, no more exquisitely fashioned silverware than that which bears the famous yearmark, 1847. Its lovely features are unexcelled. No other silver plate looks and feels so much like solid silver. 
in every way. 1847 Rogers Brothers answers your dream for the best for your table. So if Santa Claus left you a check yesterday, why not put it toward bringing shining, unequaled beauty to your home? Why not see 1847 Rogers Brothers at your dealers tomorrow? 1847 Rogers Brothers, the finest silver plate in America. It's the night after Christmas, and in the living room of the Nelsons at 1847 Rogers Road, a story is in progress. A story from the life of another Nelson family, George and Ethel Nelson of Ridgefield Park, New Jersey, when it was little Ozzy and his brother Al. It's a mighty interesting story, too. All about how Ozzy's father promised the boys it would snow one Christmas night. Tell us what happened, Pop. Did it snow? Oh, wait till I get to that part of the story, David. The important thing is that your Uncle Al and I had absolute faith in our dad. He said it was going to snow that night, and we believed him. Well, I'm still wondering, Pop. Why didn't Grandma Nelson send us a Christmas present? <laughs> Remember, Rick, Daddy wanted you to have faith in Grandma Nelson to believe that she hasn't forgotten. That's why he's telling the story. Is it interesting, fellas? You want to hear the rest of it? Oh, sure. You bet, boy. This is neat. Well, your Uncle Al and I went to bed unusually early that night. And we had our new flexible flyers right beside us so we could go sleigh riding on that snow that our pop had promised. I remember as we went to sleep, Mom and Pop were down in the kitchen. Mom was washing the dinner dishes and Pop was drying them. There was a lot of soap in the dishwater then. There's no need to keep looking out the window, dear. There's nothing out there but the moon. For a second, I, I thought I saw some clouds. The only cloud around here, George, is the one on your brow. Don't you think it'd be a good idea if you went up and explained to the boys? Can't do that, Ethel. They'd never have any confidence in me again. Oh, dear. But if the lawn isn't white in the morning, your face is going to be awfully red. I'm not so sure. Don't ever make the mistake of underestimating a small boy's face. Might be just the thing that works. Well, I hope you're right, dear. Another thing. Of course, I realize it's practically a toy, but this little barometer still says snow. If only there was some way of finding it. See, I have an idea. Why don't I phone the Weather Bureau and get the official word on it? Well, yes, that sounds good. I don't think I know the number offhand. Number, please. Uh, hello, Central. I wonder if you could connect me with the Weather Bureau. I don't have the number. Oh, sure. I'll look it up. I'm sorry to put you all this trouble. Oh, it's your bibble. That's what I'm here for. How you gonna keep them down on the floor? <laughs> After they've seen Is she getting the number? Yeah, she's very nice. She's giving me a little concert, too. <laughs> Must be the Nora Bays of the telephone company. Weather Bureau. I'd like to get some weather information. Do you expect snow tonight? Oh, yes, indeed. We expect snow about midnight in Portland, Oregon, Montreal, Canada, and uh, Frozen Monkey, Montana. <laughs> George? Charlie, I was wondering who the Weisenheimer was. Uh-huh. Then you don't think it's going to snow tomorrow. I've got a barometer here that says it is. Well, I got five of them here that says it isn't, George. <laughs> yeah, and 
Uh, look, I-, I don't like to argue with scientific information, but what makes you so sure? Or is that giving away trade secrets? Oh, no, no, George. I'd be glad to explain it. Now, if I get too technical, you stop me. Now, you see, up in the sky, there are a lot of little elves, and they're in charge of the weather. Mm-hmm. And right after each election, they gather in all the hot air that's left over. <laughs> Nothing popping. That's uh, not a sign of snow. I can imagine how the boys are going to feel in the morning when they wake up all excited and look out the window and see nothing but the bare ground. I wouldn't fret about it, George. They'll get over it. What are you looking at? This little barometer I got for Christmas. I wonder if this could possibly be right and the weather bureau wrong. This thing has been pointing at snow ever since I got it. Hello? that Charlie Johnson. He sure takes the fur line faster. <laughs> Poor old Pop. He was laughing, but he wasn't too happy. Here he promised his sons it would snow by morning, and his only hope was in our faith in him and a strange confidence he had developed in the little barometer. Let's go to bed, George. It's getting late. Did you see Ozzie and Alan there, sleeping so peacefully, dreaming of snowdrifts and belly-whopping down Strohmeyer's Hill? Oh, which reminds me, where are their sleds? Well, Al put his in the closet, and Ozzie has his in bed with him. <laughs> There's no question in their minds. Their old pop promised them snow, and snow it's going to be. That's a wonderful face. I think I could have a little more of it if the moon weren't shining in the window. Oh, that doesn't necessarily mean anything, Ethel. I think I'll put this barometer on the nightstand beside our bed where I can keep an eye on it. It's still pointing right to snow. Isn't that wonderful? Why are you putting that window up, George? The other one's up. When it starts to snow, I want to lie here in bed and watch the flakes come down. (laughs) Reach my hand out and feel the cool, shimmering crystal. Did you know that snow is nothing but popped rain? (laughs) Good night, Pop. tell you it's a secret. <laughs> Come on, Ozzie, let's get this sled. The Weather Bureau called up three times. They want to buy your barometer. <laughs> Charlie Johnson snowed in up there. You'll probably have to leave town because the weather doesn't agree with them. <laughs> well, I'm not the kind of person who says, I told you so, Ethel, but you didn't think this had happened, did you? Oh, I must admit I didn't, George. I guess I underestimated the faith of two small boys and their fathers. It just shows you what it can do. Of course, the funny thing is, I never would have known it was going to snow if it hadn't been for this little barometer. 
It's a wonderful instrument. There's no doubt about that. Let's take a look at it. It's pointing right to snow, and it's snowing like 60 out. Look at the needle. Oh, I know it is. Not only that, it was pointing to snow yesterday, and it'll still be pointing to snow next 4th of July. <laughs> what are you talking about? Have you tried to move it? The needle is fastened there. Look at the back of it. There's a little sign on it. The north wind will blow, and we shall have snow. Now is the time to order your coal from the Brewster Coal and Fuel Company. <laughs> Well, it shows you what can be done if you have faith. Oh, it was a wonderful story, dear. I hope you boys got the point of it. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. We were not seeing no pop. You think Grandma and Elsie forgot to send us a Christmas present? I'll explain it to you again tomorrow, Ricky. Come on, boys. You've had your story. It's time for this. Yeah, you run upstairs, you guys. I want to read the paper. Mm. Are you sure you understood the point of the story, Ricky? Oh, sure. Okay, what was it? It was about snow. If your father says it's going to snow, then it's going to snow. Come on, boys. Okay, Mom. Hey, I got an idea. Let's ask Pop to make it snow tomorrow. Oh, Ricky, don't be a dope. We haven't got any sleds anyway. Mm, we could get them, maybe. What am I talking about? That's crazy. Hey, Pop. Oh, that Pop alone. He's trying to read the paper. Pop? Pop? Hmm? You think there'll be snow around here tomorrow? Now, run up to bed now, boys. You think we need to go sleigh riding? Yes, yes, yes. Your, your mother's waiting for you. Now go on up to bed. Come on, Ricky. Hey, David. There's going to be snow tomorrow. We can go sleigh riding. Pop said so. Hey, you fellas are late for breakfast. Come on, let's get going. Okay, Pop. Well, why the long faces? You look like a couple of sad sacks. Where's the snow you promised, Pop? Well, I didn't promise any snow, Ricky. You're thinking of the story I told you last night. Don't you remember, Pop? Ricky asked if we could go sleigh riding, and you said yes. Well, I don't remember saying anything like that. You said, mm-hmm, it's the same thing. Well, if I did, I'm sorry, fellas. I... Uh, come in, Barney. Hiya, folks. Hi, Hiya, Barney. Barney. Well, don't sit here wasting time. Get your heavy clothes on, boys. We're going sleigh riding. What are you talking about? Snow, a uh, beautiful snow. Catherine's father just phoned us. There's three feet of snow up at the old Hatchapuku Mountain. We can be up there in two hours. <laughs> oh, boy, snow. Can we go, Pop? Well, of course. You don't think I'd promise snow and then not let you go sleigh riding, do you? Oh, the only thing, though, dear, the boys don't have any sleds. <laughs> yeah, how about that? When Pop was a boy, he had sleds and no snow. And here we got snow and no sleds. <laughs> I'll get it. Uh, let's see. David and Ricky Nelson. They live here? Yes, they do. Well, I got a delivery here from Henderson. Oh, careful. It's pretty heavy. Well, I'll be done. What is it, Mom? Hey, Bob, look. Sled. Oh, boy. Flexible flyers from Grandma Nelson. Well, isn't that wonderful? Two sleds from Grandma Nelson. Oh, there you are. Thank you. Well, thank you. Happy New Year. Same Thank to you. you. Golly, how did Grandma Nelson know what we wanted? See, I told you fellas to have a little faith in Grandma. These are real neat, boys. Well, hurry up and get ready, boys. I'll be back in ten minutes. Thanks, Mrs. Thornberry. Thanks, Mrs. Thornberry. Bye, Tony. Hello, Tony. Oh. Well, it sure is a wonderful thing to have faith in people, huh, Pop? Yes, David, it sure is. Come on, David. Let's put on our Arctics. Arctics? What are they? I don't know. Pop used to wear them when he was a boy. 
Boy, that Ricky, he sure takes a fur-lined bathtub. <laughs> hey, Mom, did you know the snow is nothing but popped rain? Yes, I know, dear. Come on, boys. How you gonna keep them down on the farm? Grandma Nelson may cause everybody a few anxious moments, but neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor gloom of night can keep her from coming through with a present. My mother's like that too, Mr. Smith. Well, I remember last year on our anniversary, the day came and not even a word arrived. But two days later, there was a big package. And believe me, it was worth waiting for. Well, now, if I were to guess what was in the package, you know what I'd say, don't you? (laughs) Yes, I do, and you'd be right. It was a set of 1847 Rogers Brothers. And hardly an hour passed before I had almost every woman on Rogers Road overlooking at it. Golly, when I saw that 1847, I could well understand what you mean when you say that it's owned and loved by more women than any other silver plate in the world. Almost the first look at 1847 Rogers Brothers will tell you the why for of that statement. The patterns alone make 1847 unusual. They're created with such skill and warmth. Adoration, first love, eternally yours, and remembrance are their names and they're designed to fit every woman's individual taste and scheme of decoration. There's an amazing richness of detail in those beautiful 1847 patterns, too. The lovely ornaments are more deeply carved, more highly raised. I think 1847 Rogers Brothers is wonderful silver plate, no matter how you look at it. And that includes the price, too. 1847 prices haven't gone up since 1945. And that's amazing when you consider its beauty and craftsmanship, when you consider that 1847 Rogers Brothers is the finest silver plate in America. Oh, and by the way, if you folks would like to see a beautiful color picture of the entire Nelson family, get a copy of the current issue of Radio Mirror magazine. Ozzie? Yeah? One thing is puzzling me. You didn't seem at all surprised when Thorny said there was a snowstorm up in the hills this morning. Well, confidentially, I expected it. You had sort of a hunch? I probably shouldn't tell you this, giving away all my best secrets. But I read the weather forecast in the paper last night. Is that all that's puzzling you? No, there's something else, too. This package arrived this afternoon with a little note to David and Ricky. Dear boys, I'm sorry to be late with your Christmas presents, but I'm afraid I'm slowing up a bit. I hope you like these sweaters I knitted for you. Merry Christmas from Grandma Nelson. <laughs> well, isn't that strange that she should send the sled and the sweater? Mm-hmm. What makes it even stranger is that she lives in New Jersey, and the sleds came from Henderson's department store here in town. <laughs> they just happened to arrive at the opportune moment, and the card was written in your handwriting. <laughs> Adventure of Ozzie and Harriet, starring Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. And remember, America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. Yes, Harriet, America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. And on behalf of our entire cast, our sponsors, and Harriet, myself, want to wish all of you folks listening in a very, very happy New Year. Starting Sunday, January 2nd, the Horace Height program will follow Ozzie and Harriet over most of these stations. 
Appearing today in support of Ozzie and Harriet were John Brown, Janet Waldo, Tommy Bernard, Henry Blair, and Joe Kern. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. This program originates in the Hollywood studios of the National Broadcasting Company and is also broadcast over the Trans-Canada Network of the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. This adventure of Ozzie and Harriet will be transmitted to our men and women overseas by shortwave and through the worldwide facilities of the Armed Forces Radio Service. Say, folks, how about getting the first good deed of the new year in a little early? You can do it right now by sending your check tonight to CARE. CARE packages are the most efficient, economical way to send food and clothing abroad, either to friends and relatives or needy families that the organization will choose for you. Start the new year right with $10 sent to CARE, New York. Send it tonight. The Canadian address of CARE is 193 Spark Street, Ottawa. This is Vern Smith speaking. NBC, the National Broadcasting Company. Here's Walden. That was the Adventures of Ozzy and Harriet from December 26th. 1948. I'm Wong Zhu, and may the good Lord Jesus Christ bless you, and this is Yesterday USA. If you would like to get in contact with Walden, his email is walden1 at yesterdayusa.com his studio telephone number is 714-545-2071 and his home address is 2527 Duke Place, Costa Mesa, California, 92626. I am Kim Bragg and thanks for the memories, Walden. Cheerio, toodaloo. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Bill Bragg. And if you need a good announcer, don't hire me full time, because now I'm working by the word. Word spoken for sale or rent. Attached to email and quickly sent. No agents or union dues. Bill Bragg is one cool dude. Send your copy via email or fax. He'll record it and send you the tracks. Bill Bragg's the best you've heard. He's king of the word. Putting me to work for you is as easy as one, two, three. Start out by faxing your copy to 972-889-2FAX. Then dial 972-889-TALK and listen. If you like what you hear, I'll send it by email. You can even pay online with a credit card. Voiceovers or SOTs. His big deep voice is guaranteed. Is coming second or third, Bill Bragg is king of the word. Prices start out at 25 cents per word with a minimum of $50.
This is your host from coast to coast, the man with a million friends, the founder of Yesterday USA, Bill Bragg. How you doing, everybody? I hope you're doing well. Boy, we've got a nice lineup for you during this two-week period. Uh, this is the uh, two-week period that started on January 28th. You know, we operate here on a two-week cycle, so that means every week is either week number one or week number two. Now, we've got our program schedule and our rotation order on the website so everyone can find it and look at it and check it out and plan uh, when you want to listen to uh, the great programming that we have for you. Very soon um, in that area, and I'll tell you how to get there in just a moment, we're going to put a little um, helpful grid that will tell you whether this is either week one or week two. We're working on that. But right now, all you have to do is just uh, come to yesterdayusa.com. Bottom left-hand corner, it says uh, how to listen. If you click on that link, it'll tell you all the many different ways that you can listen to Yesterday USA. You know we're on two powerful satellites throughout the entire North American hemisphere. We're also on low-power AM and FM radio stations. We're on cable television outlets uh, all throughout North America. Uh, very soon we'll be returning to uh, your favorite cell telephone. That's right. You'll be able to listen to us on cell telephone. That will be happening very, very soon. Also in hospitals and nursing homes, over 2,000 of them across North America. And of course on the internet at www.yesterdayusa.com. And then at the top of the list, it says, get a free program schedule. If you'll click there, you'll find a list of all of the uh, episode titles, the original air dates, and the stars, and so forth, on all the programming that will be on our 16 tapes during this two-week period that began on the 28th day of January. There's also a rotation order grid uh, for each of the uh, time zones in the United States. So you can go down the list and pick out what you'd like to uh, listen to. Then uh, click on the rotation grid for the time zone that you live in and pick out a convenient time to listen. It's that simple. I want to say thank you also to some folks that uh, are helping us to be here uh, as we enter our 25th year, a quarter of a century on the air, 24 hours a day. And uh, first, I want to say thank you for a very nice letter from Brendan O'Kane. Brendan uh, lives in Dublin, Ireland. Thank you, Brendan, for that very, very nice note. Joel Klein, he can't listen at all. He lives in New York, but he can't listen. But he's heard of what we do, and he sends along a contribution of $100. Misty in Amarillo, Texas. She's a longtime faithful supporter. Here's a $20 check. We get one every month from Misty in Amarillo, Texas. Well, that's cowboy country out there. And how about our good friend Richard in Culver City, California, out there where all the movie stars are? Richard has donated $240. Alan crossed the border in Orangeville, Ontario, Canada. 
sends along $60 to help us out. Our lovely and good friend Patricia in Fort Myers, Florida. She's always in our nightly chat room. You know, we have a big live broadcast seven nights a week. And uh, Monday through Thursday, uh, I'm always here along with my candy. And on the weekends, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it's Walden Hughes, Frank Brzee, and a whole line of others. And the chat room is always open, and there's always someone in there. And Patricia's one of the main ones. Thank you, Patricia, for a $10 contribution. Mark out in uh, California. There's $60 from Mark. Thank you, sir. Our own Tony Fournier. You enjoy his programs on tape number 12. He sends along a $10 check. Bob Bro, another good friend and great listener. You'll find him uh, in our chat room most nearly every night. $10 from Bob Bro. And Karen in New York City. We always see her when we cover the old-time radio show conventions. She sends along $10. Thank you, folks. It's easy to help us out. Come to the website, www.yesterdayusa.com, in the bottom left-hand corner. It says, Donate Money Now. If you'll click there, you can use your favorite credit card. Visa, Master Charge, American Express, or Discover. It's a safe, secure, convenient place to donate. You can do it right now. Right now, why are you thinking about it? But you got your credit card right there in your pocket or purse. Just get it out and use it. It'll make you feel so good knowing that you did something to help keep us on the air. If you'd like to send in cash, check, or money order, well, our mailing address is 2001. That's 2001. 2001 Plymouth Rock Drive. Plymouth Rock is two words, B-L-Y-M-O-U-T-H. You can figure out the rock part on your own. The city we live in is Richardson, Texas. R-I-C-H-A-R-D-S-O-N. Richardson, Texas. The zip code is 750-81-USA. This is tape number seven for the two-week period that began here uh, on the uh, 28th day of January. Walden Hughes uh, starred here on this tape. Uh, Walden's been visiting with us here at the house uh, for almost a month now, and he'll be going home uh, during this two-week period. And we're kind of sad around here because we're going to miss him. We're going to miss that uh, pudgy little feller. We love him so much. You know, he works so hard, and he's on the air all weekend long. Uh, playing DJ and just uh, having one uh, guest right after another, one feature, one show, right after another. And uh, Walden, we love you, buddy. Have a safe trip home, and we can't wait for you to come back. And also, with Walden's help, uh, we're planning on uh, doing something that no other radio station, no other network, and certainly no other website could do. And that is live coverage from five old-time radio show conventions throughout North America. And we've also got some uh, commitments uh, uh, from uh, some big-name stars who are planning on being there. Art Linkletter, live and in person. Catherine Crosby, the wife of Bing Crosby. Uh, Bob Hastings. Fred Foy, the announcer for The Lone Ranger. Janet Waldo and Shirley Mitchell 
I'm sure you'll hear their voices. During this two-week period, they were some of the major stars of old-time radio. We've even got a commitment from the uh, remaining members of the Leave it to Beaver television cast. And the Fonzie, Henry Winkler, has indicated he may be able to join us, along with Eddie Carroll, the man that walks, talks, and even looks like Jack Benny. And here's the places we're planning on being uh, during this year. Cincinnati, Ohio, for their big convention, April 11th and 12th. The uh, Spurdvac Convention in California, May 2nd and 4th. The Raps Convention in Seattle, Washington, June 27th and 28th. The Mid-Atlantic Radio Convention in Aberdeen, Maryland, September 18th and 19th. And, of course, the Friends of Old Time Radio Convention in Newark, New Jersey, October 23rd through the 26th. This uh, is where we're planning on being, uh, dependent upon your money and your support. So uh, help us out, won't you? You know how to do it. What are you waiting for? Don't forget about the big live broadcast tonight and every night, 10.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Bill Bragg saying thank you and God bless. Sit back now. Take your shoes off. Lean way back. Pop your feet up. Get real comfortable like because we've got some more old-time radio. Right here, right now.